wife is funny. Asher's in the middle of a stage. Uh, I found my notes uh, on this same text that I wrote nine or ten years back. And literally my introduction there said Shalom's in the middle of the stage. So um, Asher is in the middle of the stage, the stage of learning how to be independent from mom and dad. He has realized that he is his own person and that he exists apart from us. Uh, and he wants to make his own choices. You know, there are many times he will tell you no and he will tell you yes. He will tell you what he wants. Uh, he wants to see at this point, though, how much control he really has. Uh, you know, pushing boundaries. You know us, our Christmas tree's been up for about a week. Uh, and uh, he likes the lines. And he'll walk up and play with that line. And we'll say, get away from the tree. And this week, at one point, we were both sitting in the living room, and he was playing with the lights. He was yanking on the cord, and I said, get away from that tree. And he looked at it. And Mama said, get away from that tree. And he looked over, and he just smiled. <laughs> and then turn back to the truth. <laughs> um, simple tasks become standoffs. And after the standoff, the timeouts, the spankings, the tears, the meeting of parents' demands, usually it's the parents who are warning. Distressed, wondering what else can you do? And although it will happen all the time, there are two times in our lives that are more pronounced than anybody. When we are toddlers and learn that we exist on our own. And then when we become an adult, those teen years, when we come into our own, we begin to, to do the same thing. And for those who accept Jesus, we have a third major time in our life. And that's when we're learning to be the creation that God intends us to be. When we are figuring these things out. Because sometimes I think God's the one who just gets worn out with us. You know, I mean, keep doing the same things again. We are still in our series, Ghost Stories, a, a not-so-scary look at the Holy Spirit. And our passage this morning deals with this very process. It's over in Ephesians chapter 4. And there Paul has been talking about life in the church, life in Christ. He's just finished talking about the prayer that he has for them, about what he is calling them to, that they would have power, that they would have knowledge of Jesus, they would have all of these things. And then he has told them about the need for unity in the body. That you need to be unified. And so then he turns to the only way true unity can occur. Your hint here is it's the Holy Spirit. You know, I mean, we pick up there in, in Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 17. And there it says, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the light of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that's not how you learn about the Messiah, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him because the truth is in Jesus. You took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your mind. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. Since you put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. 
Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as do you love children. And walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave Himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For no one recognizes this. Every sexually immoral, impure, or greedy person who is an idolater does not have the inheritance in the kingdom of God and the Messiah. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, speak through me this morning. Use me, Father. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people say. This morning, I've, you look at your notes there if you have them. I have six things that we can learn from this passage that directly affect our lives today. And the first one we have is we are what we think. Um, now, I haven't, I don't mean that if I believe it, it's just going to happen. I haven't jumped off into a name and claim it theology. That's not where I'm going with this. What I mean is our actions precede our heart. He says here, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Those are the actions of our lives. And he defines these actions by their thinking. He doesn't just go into the actions. He says, don't walk as they do. And he connects it to their thoughts. He's not confused. Looking at actions and seeing it tied to thoughts is something that happens because what we think on, what we focus on, will come out in what we do. If our mind and our focus is always on the things of the world, we're going to act like the world. As a teenager, I was told time and time again that you are the company you keep. And they meant that in several different ways because the company I keep will define me and some people will define me by who I am with rather than what I've done. I can be with somebody and be with a group of people who are doing things they shouldn't do. And even if I'm not doing it, I'm going to be defined by those things. You are the company you keep. Your thoughts precede your actions. Your actions precede your thoughts. That's why Hebrews tells us don't forsake the gathering together. Because you have to come together to get recharged. You have to come together to get your mind back where it needs to be. You need to be able to think on the things that are of heaven. It's our thoughts. We can't live godly lives if our heads in the world. All I'm thinking about is what's on TV next week or what I get to do this next weekend. Or if I'm always thinking about the world and I'm not thinking about godly things, my actions are going to show that. I mean, they're not going to be something that, that I can say, well, look, follow me. He says here that your understanding will be darkened. He says, that you know, what does it mean when your understanding is darkened? That's creepy. I guess it's good for this time of year. I don't know. It means that you're missing out on the life of God. You're missing out on what life can be. 
if your understanding is dark and you don't really get what's going on, he says that they're ignorant of the things of God. It's one of my favorite phrases in all the Bible. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the hardness of their hearts. They don't understand. They don't know. When you focus on the world, it creates a hardness in your heart. You ever turn on the news? <laughs> I was taught in junior high journalism, this was a long time ago, that if it bleeds, it leads. The gorier it is, the more sensational it is, that's your top story. That's what you're running with. That's what you make sure everybody sees. But the problem is, as we see these atrocities, we get numb to those atrocities. They no longer move us. I remember a time when, when I couldn't cry. That really jolted me. I'm a big crybaby. The fact that I couldn't cry freaked me out because something was wrong. But when you become hard, when, you're, when your life and your heart becomes hardened toward the things of God, you begin to look for something to break through that. You begin to look for what can give you that feeling. That's where addicts become addicts because they're always chasing the feeling. They're always chasing that which will make them feel like they want to feel. That's why people who are addicted to pornography are addicted to pornography because they're searching for this intimacy that they crave to have that they don't have and so they continue down the spiral path. Selfishness always seeks out gratification and comfort. And that's what the world wants us to be, selfish. Everything about the world is selfish. I mean, you turn on anything and it's about what do you want. You see the, you seen TV commercials lately? It's all about what you might want. McDonald's, I don't know why my kid is obsessed with McDonald's right now. I mean, he'll walk around just going, ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> I'm loving it. You know, or you can go to Burger King and have it your way. Everything is about self-gratification. It's about getting what I want. And it's because as we live in the world, we become hard to the things around us. All this happens because of where we think. I cannot put my mind on things below if I want to live as someone who has citizenship from above. Because we are what we think. He goes on to say that we must be sure that Jesus we are following is the Jesus of Scripture. I'll let that sink in for a minute. Some of you are going, there's only one Jesus, Troy. Yes. There is only one true Jesus. But there are a lot of Jesuses being preached that aren't the true Jesus. Because he says, that's not how you learned about the Messiah. That's not how you learned, assuming that you heard about him and you were taught by him. You didn't learn to think this way from Jesus, assuming that you actually heard Jesus. Because the truth is in Jesus. You can't live the way that you live in the world if you truly know Jesus as revealed in Scripture. Maybe, maybe the Jesus you follow at times isn't the Jesus that, that I'm preaching from the Bible. Because if you can live like you don't know Christ while having Christ, that's not the Jesus I know. There are many people out there 
who are preaching a Jesus that's a good man. That's a teacher. That's a prophet. Even that he's the son of God. All I have to do is love him. i got to get out of hell free card. We have to be sure that Jesus we follow is the Jesus of Scripture. Only in the Jesus of Scripture is truth. Huh? Because the Jesus of Scripture leads us somewhere. He leads us into something. Because my most controversial statement of the day is this. Salvation is a free gift of God. But sanctification takes work on our part. <coughs> Oops. You know, we don't like hearing that. Nope, I can't do anything about it. Salvation is the free part. Salvation is that gift of God. We're saved from our punishment. But sanctification is being cleansed into purity. Now you're saying, Troy, I can't make myself pure. And you're absolutely right. The Spirit leads into purity. But you still have to follow. You still have to go where He leads you. Paul here doesn't say, just rest in what God has done. That's not what he says. He says, you take off the former way. You put on the new way. We don't just sit around hoping that Jesus is going to clean our mess. We're supposed to be out there doing the things Jesus has called us to do to clean our mess. Now you're going, wait a minute, I can't clean our mess. You can't. But you can do the steps that God's called you to do. You can do what God wants you to do. One of the biggest battles in our house right now is teaching people how to clean their mess. It's all of us. I mean, honestly. It's teaching people to clean their mess. It's teaching them to say, okay, you know, I'm finished with this. Let me put it up. Because some of us don't put it up. We need a lady. Some of us just pile things on top of other things. And then I don't know how many times somebody can't find something. Because they put it somewhere and then their mess covered it up. So they come to somebody else, mama or daddy, and say, I can't find it. Help me find it. And then we'll spend days finding things. <laughs> days. It's just it. But that's how we do, right? With God. How often do we ask the same thing of God? We make a mess. Then we can't find the blessings that God has for us. And we want God to clean the mess and give us the blessing. <laughs> oh. We make choices. And choices have consequences. Choices have consequences. There are things that when we make a choice, that we're going to have to deal with the consequences. And, and, and we take these steps. And, and that's the same thing when it comes to cleaning up our life. God will say, go this way. But so often we're like, but God, I like my way better. I want to go my direction. I don't want to go your direction. And what happens? We make a mess. We get things all kinds of messed up. And I remember back, one of the selling points that Denise sent to me in the emails that Eric told her to tell me when we started the interview process was that we have paid roads in life. Because <laughs> uh, Perrin doesn't. Uh, but Parker County 
did pave the back roads at one time. And I drove a white pickup at that point. It's a white Dodge 86, one of the old Dodges. And uh, they were just kind of hot topping it, basically. And I was 17 years old, and I knew it all. So it didn't matter when I pulled up on the uh, construction. The guy said, you might want to take the long way to school today. And I was like, I don't have time to take the long way to school today. I had to go to school move. So I drove my white truck down a tar road. It was ombre when I got this church. <laughs> it was white to gray to black. I mean, it was, it probably would have been popular today, but it wasn't popular to me at that point, and I made a mess. And I looked at my dad, and I was like, well, what are we going to do about this? And he said, what do you mean, what are we going to do about this? He said, there's the diesel pump. Here's a rag. Get to clean it. <laughs> Sometimes God's going to come and he'll, he says, I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to pull you out of this mess, but you've got to climb. You've got to grab the shovel and start moving it out of the way. You've got to do what I've called you to do. Because if you don't do the work that God has called you to do, why do we expect him to do it for us? When David stood up against Goliath, he didn't just stand there and say, God's going to get you. He had stones and he threw it. And then he took a sword and cut his head off. Every time we look in the Bible, there's not a whole lot of times that the people of God were doing something when God reacted. Even in the instance where Moses had to hold his arms up for people to win, the Israelites were still doing the battle. God has called us to do stuff. He has called us to be that person. And we have to go through the work of sanctification. We have to be doing the things that God's called us to do. Jesus says the Spirit sanctifies, but He expects us to do our part. Put off the old ways. Say no to the old ways. Don't do that again. Don't go back. That's hard to do sometimes. When God moves you and He says, don't watch that anymore. And you've watched it your entire life, but you're like, but, but, but no, no more. Don't do that anymore. Put that off. That's not who you are anymore. And then put on the, the new things. You ever put on a new pair of shoes? A new pair of boots. Let's just use boots because boots are the hardest to break in, right? Put on a new pair of boots and they're usually semi-uncomfortable until you get used to walking in. That's sanctification. God begins to move. He begins to change you and it's going to be slightly uncomfortable because you're not used to doing things that way. Until you've walked in those boots a little while, until you've done the things that God has called you to do for a little while, you're not going to be used to that. But the truth is, we have to understand this. A changed life is evidence of a changed man. I can't preach people into heaven at their funeral. Can't do it. I remember a story of a, of a man who lived in a small town. He was just the meanest, most spiteful, greediest, ugliest hombre you've ever met. And he died. And his brother came to the Baptist preacher and he said, now when you preach his funeral, I, I, 
I'll give a great donation to the church. When you preach his funeral, I want you to say that he was a saint. I want you to basically preach him into heaven. And the pastor tried to argue that the guy wouldn't listen. So he got up there that morning in the funeral and he said, you know, Brother Jones, however his name was, was a mean, ugly, hypocritical, I mean, went through all these different things and just talked about that man and his brother's fuming in the front row. And then he said, but, a, but compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> a changed life is evidence of a changed man. Don't, don't come running to me with Jesus is my homeboy or Jesus makes my world go round or I love me some Jesus or I got to get my Jesus on while living like the world. Because that doesn't fly. It doesn't fly to say I love Jesus but I'm not going to do any of the things that Jesus wants me to do. Carrie <laughs> and I are different individuals. What are you already chuckling about? It's true. It's true. She likes some weird stuff. And I'm just like, really? Again? I mean, you know. But, on the other side of that, I like crime dramas. I like to watch them. I like the mystery. Carrie hates them. But sometimes she'll sit down and watch them. Because I like them. Because she's supposed to love. <laughs> That's the way that works. If you actually love someone, you will do the things with them that they want to do. I can't say I love Jesus, but never do the things that Jesus wants me to do. I love Jesus, but I'm not going to go to church. I love Jesus, but I'm not going to talk about it. Remember when you fell in love? You tell everybody, didn't you? Ooh, she's, she's so pretty. He's so handsome. Oh, did you know he called me last night and told me good night? It was so sweet. We talk about it. But if you tell me you love Jesus, but you never talk about Jesus, do you love Jesus? A changed life is evidence of a changed man. My first question is going to be to you if you couldn't with that is do you know the Jesus of Scripture? I'm not saying that you're not going to goof up or you're not going to sin and slip up. I'm talking about lifestyles that are crass and sinful, this constant pattern of worldly living. He says, since you put away lying, since you put it away, because you're different than you used to be, you know, when he says that, the rest of this passage has no bearing in your life if you're not a changed person. You can stop right there and never read any more of it if you're not a changed person. Because Paul assumes believers will change. And then he gives these steps to a changed life. Right? Speak the truth. Because we're members of one another. The nose can't lie to the eyes. Can't. You ever been in one of those experiments where they, they had you eat something while smelling something else? You know what it is because you're looking at it. Your mind knows what they tell you something else, but you can see. The nose really can't lie to the eyes because the eyes see what the nose can't. Speak the truth to one another, it says. Be angry, but don't sin. Be angry. We don't, man. That's, maybe we all need to hear that one. Because we're always like, you don't need to be angry. 
believer. It says be angry. But don't sin. What does that mean? It means you can be angry. You can be upset. But don't do things in your anger that you're going to regret. That right. I didn't mean to do that. Be productive, it says, for the, for the good of others. You know, there is no punctuation in, in the Greek text. Punctuation is added later. And so, you know, the thief must no longer steal. Technically, the Greek doesn't have punctuation. We put that in there because it goes with the flow of the text. You're supposed to change. The thief doesn't keep going on stealing because he wants to. He, he, he stops stealing. He does something so he can have to get with others. And it says, don't use foul language. Don't use cussing. The attitude of ingratitude or selfish, selfishness. Only build each other up. Do you notice the common denominator here? Unselfish things. Because the sins we commit against each other are sins we commit against God. If the Holy Spirit lives in you and the Holy Spirit lives in other believers, if I sin against a believer, I have to, by definition, sin against the Holy Spirit living in that one. Because the life that I live is no longer my own, but it's Christ in me. If we're not following these precepts of a changed life, it says you can grieve the Holy Spirit. It's not that God's sitting around sad, distressed, and upset. He's not doing that. How do you greet the Holy Spirit? By not doing these things. It's that, it's that, it's that God has this <laughs> when you look at someone who has the presence of God in them and decide that our selfishness, our comfort, our desires are more important than the God who is in them, that grieves the Holy Spirit. And grieving the Holy Spirit isn't about, it's, it's about not living the life God has called you to live. Parents, is this familiar to you? I've taught my children right from wrong. Yet they still choose what I said was wrong. And it breaks your heart. It breaks your heart because you want to choose for them. It causes you to be distressed. It causes you to grieve. How much more can the Spirit who is always present be distressed when we fail to follow what God has taught us to do? When the Spirit's literally saying, Don't do that! Maybe your Holy Spirit doesn't scream at you. The Holy Spirit screams at me sometimes. No! Because whispering doesn't get through. I'm, you know, you got three kids in the house and it's always loud. The Holy Spirit has to yell. He says, stop. Don't do that. And so often we go, but I was always taught that when I say but, it negates everything I just said. Jesus, I really want to do this for you. But I've got some things going on. Well, you really didn't want to do that. Because if you really wanted to do that, you would do it. You would. If you really wanted to do it, you would do it. I've always taught the children in my life that if someone wants to be a part of your life, they will be a part of your life. They will find a way. 
being said, if, if, if somebody else is actually trying to keep them out, that's a different story. If we really want to follow God, we'll follow God. There's, there's no way stands or buts about it. What we would do, we would make time. You make time to follow God if you want to follow God. If you don't, you're just not going to time. Because grace is supposed to beget grace. Think back. I uh, look at the elements of the supper here. Think about what God has given me. I'm not who I was. I'm not who I was yesterday. And if I know that I'm not who I was yesterday, and I've been given that grace. How horrible is it if I don't give that grace to someone else? Paul says here, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you. Other sermon there, and I won't go into it. But how did God forgive us in Christ? Completely, sacrificial, unselfish. Just forget. And it's supposed to affect us so much that we should become imitators of God. Paul, Paul puts it this way in another uh, spot in his epistles. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Are you following God closely enough that you could say to somebody, imitate me as I imitate Christ? People People are afraid of the church today because so often we fail at that last point. We'll take all the grace all day long, so we struggle giving it. Maybe this morning, maybe you keep trying on the new pair of boots and taking them off after a few minutes because they don't feel right. Let me encourage you to continue to walk in those boots until they become comfortable. Maybe this morning, we want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to serve missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church of membership. Maybe this morning you have some other need completely. Maybe there's something that I haven't mentioned and you just need to, you need to share it. Now's the time. But maybe this morning you've never known Jesus. Maybe, maybe you are stuck above the sense in that passage. Maybe you don't know the rest of it. Maybe you can't put away the things you're supposed to put away. Maybe you can't do those things because you don't have the spirit yet. Now's the time. You walk down to the church, I don't know Jesus, so we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to him. Let's pray.
Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings.